from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. A lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. One, two, clean. season two of crying in public this is our first like big episode with a guest so we are so excited and if you guys listened to an episode before you know that we talk about this artist so much in all of our episodes and like if you came into our apartment on sunday morning like her album is blaring like we are so excited to have her here so everyone give a warm welcome to the one and only jesse reyes Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I think it's like the new way of saying like, what's up? How are you? Is how has the pandemic been treating you? So like, how has it been through all this craziness like lately? It's been wild because it's definitely been like sporadic. You know, when it first started, I feel like it hit me so hard. I wasn't ready. I wasn't, I mean, I don't think anybody was ready, but I feel like maybe if you were living a like chill, sedentary not as active lifestyle, then it, the drastic change wouldn't have affected one as much. But I was on move. I was like, it was just crazy busy. So it went from like a million miles a minute to like four walls and four walls and nothing else. So it, 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 it took a, it took a fuck, like my mental health took a hit 
but then I guess the cup half full is that the year forced me to kind of run an internal inventory on myself and understand why it was so difficult for me mentally and like talk to a therapist for the first time in like a long, long time and, and start reading more books. Like just it, the cup half full is that I got to kind of go inwards and I haven't been able to do that in a long time. Do you think that, cause I know your album came out in March. So did the pandemic happening at the same time, try and like, how you're gonna like release the album or like touring and things like that so like how did that affect you that was nuts I was terrified nobody was releasing music like it was it was I think the only person had decided to drop around that point was the weekend and I think we released about a week apart but aside from that everybody else had either postponed or was holding shit because nobody really knew the lay of the land like nobody really knew how how everything was gonna like how, how music was going to react, how the music industry was going to react. Like nobody knew anything. So it was kind of just walking in the dark. And I almost didn't release it. But because of real-time interaction, I like went on the gram and I was like, do you guys think I should delay it again? Or I, Which I guess was kind of a silly question in retrospect because I guess I should have anticipated nobody really saying, yeah, delay it. Everybody was kind of like, fuck yeah, drop it now. So then we decided to drop it. But it was, it was um, like I had to pivot. Because the original intention for the album was to, like, obviously the songs are from my experience and I and I wrote them about my life. But when I was making it, the, the track list, the objective was to make the project a catalyst for people to think about their lives and think about their mortality and think about, like, the fact that it could all be over tomorrow. Like, you just never know. You never know when your time's up. You never know when it's over. And then when March came around and 2020 showed showed its cards, it was kind of like it was no longer a catalyst. The project was no longer going to be this like this reflection of something that you might never think about. It, it became almost like commentary because now everyone's thinking about their mortality. Now everyone's thinking about that. Now everyone's thinking about, you know what I mean? So it, it's almost like it, it morphed itself due to the context of the world. And speaking of, I know uh, a question that I wanted to ask is speaking of your album and the way you make music, how now is the pandemic or I guess the way that you've been um, writing music since the pandemic hit, how has that impacted the way you actually write and approach the process like internally and uh, what comes out on uh, albums or your music? It, it kind of forced me to go back to like the basics. Because when I first started, it was just me and my guitar, you know, and like chasing down producers and chasing down these opportunities. And then for the last couple of years, I've been really blessed to have to have like a facility and being able to work with who, who I want to work with or like them reaching out and studio time and actually being in sessions together. So it's gotten more collaborative by nature. So it had been a few years since it had just been me and my guitar alone in my room. And so it got back down to that. And it also forced me to flex my like old engineering, basic, basic level the engineering skills. I, I feel like a fraud even saying engineering skills because it's literally the most basic shit. And I just stay calling my engineers and my friends, like producer friends being like, yo, how do I use this plugin? How do I make this happen? How do I fix this? But it forced me to go back to my, my independence as like an up and coming artist which is the shit that I had to deal with like five years ago when I was doing everything by myself. So I've done that. And then I also have tried a new method for the sake of almost like working out my brain. I started like for kicks. If I watch a movie, I'm like, okay, my exchange, my creative exchange for watching the movie is going to be writing a song from the perspective of one of the main characters. 
So the last one I did was was uh, "Call Me by Your Name," and I wrote it from from Timothy's perspective. But it's just shit like that, just to make sure that like I'm I'm exercising still. I need to see that movie. I haven't seen it yet. It's good. Have you ever read the book? No, I haven't. But like Timothy Chalamet goes to our school, like technically. No so shit. I want to watch it, but I haven't gotten on Timothy Chalamet train yet. True when the pandemic hit, you started to like go back into therapy and seeing someone. So has writing been like cathartic or therapeutic now, like in this time? Is it still like a release for emotions or is it more of like a pressure to get music out? It's not a, I don't think, like I'm fortunate enough that it's not a pressure, especially because I just dropped like my debut album. I feel I made the decision after I dropped the album that I want to be missed. So it's going to be a second before I drop another, another project, you know? Like I'd rather be, what? My mom always said that. She's like, you never want to overstay your welcome. You always want to be missed. So I want to do that. I want to take I want to take however long time I might need just to keep doing that, like focus on myself, live, live my life. Creating is it's still freedom. You know, it's still something sacred. It's something that I have fought for, for years to keep sacred. And I feel like I've been able to solidify this sort of fortress around what creativity means to me. And my team recognizes that. Anybody who I work with recognizes that. So it's almost like, and that creative process is immune to people and to the pandemic because it's just stayed pure regardless, you know? I love that. Yeah, I completely agree with like when you were like, I want to be missed because because of the pandemic now more than ever, people are like, I want to focus on myself and like also like focus on your music at the same time. But like with the pandemic, I feel like it changed a lot of people's perception because you had to focus like on yourself mm-hmm. and your mental health. Yeah, it. no, definitely. It's an opportunity. I mean, like anything, anytime you have a problem, the best way you can look at it, if you want to be like success is just to look at adversity like an opportunity to develop yourself more. That's what I had to look at it like in order to pull myself out of the depression that I feel like I was in earlier this year, which I I feel like a massive chunk of the population was in or is in a depression due to everything, you know? So I feel like it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely more of an introspective vibe for the second half of the year. I absolutely relate because at the beginning, like I think everyone, like all of us, including, you know, are just having a tough time adjusting. And do you think more people should meditate? How does it affect you? Jokes. I thought you said medication. I was like, (laughs) what? No, meditation, Um, meditation. What? Meditation, I think, I, I feel like if meditation was something that was like routinely taught to children, from like kindergarten, I feel like there would be so much less drama, so much less pain, so much less people stuck in the rat race, so much less unhappiness. If that was something that was as common as like the country's anthem, you know, I feel like if that was a thing, it would just raise the quality of life worldwide. It's super important to me. It saved me many times during my life. I'm learning something. I, I read this book this year by uh, Eckhart Tolle for the first time, and I wish I would have read it earlier because it's been recommended to me multiple times, but because I had time this year to read that sort of book, because I feel like I need to be in the mind state to be able to sit down and take it in properly. It altered my idea of what meditation is because usually meditation for me is I need to set time aside. Like it's self-care, but I have it scheduled in, you know, but it, the power of now kind of talks about it as something that you can literally do like anytime, anywhere, even if it takes you five seconds, but it takes you to the present moment. And then it forces you to live more consciously, you know, almost as a, as a, not a substitute, but an additive to 
being an individual who meditates, if you can also be conscious while you're walking through your life, it just, it helps every other aspect, you know? I love that. An additive, not a substitute. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like interned and helped this guy who does meditation for children and he like teaches children like meditation on zoom classes like especially during this pandemic he was like they need it more than ever so like all these kids would join zoom calls and like practice meditation from like really young ages like as young as three to like seven years old in order to ensure like he was like it helps with like mental like health in the future if you get meditation yeah. at a young age it's facts i believe it it's a fine like my little brother is two and he's just like a complete monster and like i don't know if it's because of like the <laughs> pandemic but like he just doesn't know how to behave so they're like trying to teach him how to do like breathing exercise and things like that and it frustrates him much and i'm like well shit maybe i should try that maybe that's the issue maybe you just gotta conform you gotta deal with him he's not too loud <laughs> you're just too quiet <laughs> maybe try that a little earlier would have helped things but you that's know, funny that's crazy this this pandemic is actually gonna affect like this next generation for any kid that's that's i feel like the the kids that are gonna be the most impacted the kids are that are going to be dealing with like the residual effects psychologically of this are yeah the kids that had been in school for a year already like five to six years old. You know what I mean? Because there's no consistency and they just stepped out of their comfort zone. They were just getting acclimated to like new social cues, getting acclimated to like new structure and then reverted back, you know? So it was like a step forward and two steps back for, for kids that are specifically in that stage of life. I feel like it's going to be, I feel like people really got to be conscious of how to, how to counteract those effects, you know? Because at least he too, at least he's been home even if he's running crazy, at least, at least that's his environment that he's running crazy in, you know? Because, like, that's when you, like, learn how to, like, interact with other people or, like, other kids. It's probably something like a generation of really bad kids. I mean, hopefully not, because, like, the whole, like, meditation self-care thing. But I just feel like, ugh, because that's such a bad idea. But also, like, what can you do? Because, like, how do you teach kids over Zoom? They, like, can't really focus. I mean, neither can college kids, but, like, at least they're used to, like, being in that kind of, like, environment. <laughs> no, it's nuts. I talked to my sister-in-law, and my, my nieces and nephews are all doing, like, Zoom school now. Yeah. And the it just, I just, I just feel for her, especially for my, my nieces, like, grade five. And I just remember grade five going into grade six being like, oh, my God, this is when math started to get hard. This is when, like, it's like get real and they're piling on the homework because it feels like the teachers don't know what else to do which seems whack because then they're just taking up more time and then there's no socialization there's no fun there's no like real recess so there's not even a reward you know because like we literally log on to classes go to sleep turn our cameras off wake up two hours later and turn it off so like we're not really learning That's crazy. Yeah, but, like nyu they're charging that money too so it's and they're like... charging that money That's crazy. yeah i feel like i've just been doing like crazy amounts of assignments but like not actually learning stuff which is just bizarre to me but that's what you got to do because if you take the semester off or take the year off you're like already behind like everyone else so like everyone else is kind of just forced into doing it even though like no one really wants to but that's just what it is the the workload almost because i know you feel like you're doing a lot but you're not retaining it as much yeah but it's the workload is all is a lot it's easier in the sense that I get the concept well but it's just still harder in general just because there's so much stuff to balance out and stuff good luck (laughs) one in-person class and it's like a 200 person lecture hall with eight people and it's a creative writing class so it's like songwriting poems stuff like that and it's just so awkward because it's like critique people's music but I don't know what your face looks like but also like 
just really big weird environment so like i feel like even going back to like normal life in quotes is going to be weird because how do you like adjust to being like socially normal again like a period of being like isolated but like going back to doing concerts and things like that is it going to be hard to like reconnect with your fans in that way because it's been like virtual for so long i don't think so because i don't it's different you know but this is coming from someone that was never a big fan of school so for me going back to if I was going back to school and it's something I don't like in the first place, I wouldn't be very excited about it, you know, but it's different because I'm apt to perform again. I'm apt to go jump around. I'm apt to go crowd surf. I'm apt to do all those things. So I don't think that it's going to affect the like potency of happiness that I feel like it's going to give me when, when concerts come back. If anything, I feel like it's going to make it even more climactic because when everybody's been starved of, those kind of experiences absolutely everyone's been so starved so i feel like it's gonna it's gonna it's just gonna be more intense it's gonna be there's gonna be more of a feeling of like peak when you get to that oh mid song in the set it's gonna yes this, this is, you know um speaking of like transitioning back to you know the new normal you know the pandemic we could have stage one stage two stage three stage four um, for industry, you know, the music industry, is it like slowly transitioning back? Is it trying to find new solutions? Like what step are you on right now currently? Like nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Like as my people say, yeah, we're going to try. Like look at that. People try driving concerts and it feels like it's kind of did it. It kind of didn't. The, the reviews are mixed. Some people love it as a band-aid. Some people hate it because it doesn't have the same intimate feel. So to each of their own, I, I, I think that when... When the solution shows up, it's going to be undeniable because I don't think it's going to be as polarizing as, for example, the live stream concerts have been because some people love them and some people hate them. But I don't think anybody knows what's going on. It seems like everyone's just trying to pivot and see what sticks. And I think that it's apparent in every industry. It's apparent in every institution. Even schools don't know what the hell they're doing. Schools are opening. Schools are closing. Schools are changing curriculum. Schools don't have enough teachers. Jobs what's essential who's an essential worker how come these big companies are able to stay open but local businesses are getting shut down and at risk of losing the property because they can't keep up with the with the rent if there's no income like it's just there's 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 so much that's up in the air right now that i feel like we're at, we're just at the mercy of time and we're at the mercy of god yeah nobody really knows how to cope nobody really knows what to do but it's trial and error one of the chain smokers had a concert in like the hamptons i think it was supposed to be concert and everyone just got off their cars and it was like a super spreader event so i feel like imagine being like responsible for like half the city getting covid that's scary yeah it's, it's, it's frightening because i went to your concert in 2017 at um hollywood cemetery yeah my dad was like this girl's really dope we from this concert and like when you hear your like 60 year old dad say like this girl's dope you're kind of going <laughs> and like it was before you released an album but, like every single person knew every single word to every every single song like the environment the energy was just crazy so like i can imagine like replicating that now people are afraid to like be in a space with other people you know so like are you scared about it being like different when you go back or like trying to like replicate that experience yeah if if we try to go back too soon yeah i'm scared if people if we try to rush it that's that i think that that's what the experience is going to be like if we try to do shows in 2021 because it just doesn't to me and usually i'm more optimistic usually i'm on I'm, I'm i subscribe to the optimistic school of thought but if i'm being a realist i just don't see it i don't see a proper solution being set in 2021 but I still see people trying to accelerate it, which sucks because then I feel like people are going to be next to each other like, oh, should I sing? If I sing, is there, are there more molecules coming out of my mouth that could infect somebody? You know, there's going to be, it's good, there's going to be fear. 
So, yeah, I think if I accelerated or if people accelerated, I think it's going to be different. There's going to be, like, fear involved, which it sucks because it's the last thing you want to think about at a concert is fear. Yeah. Maybe in 2022, man. Maybe in 2022 when the solutions are set, when people have, like, herd immunity or people have been wearing their masks or there's a legitimate, safe, not rushed, not, not like, terrifying vaccination that's, like, an actual solution as opposed to something that might have been rushed and you don't know how it's going to affect people i just think it needs time i don't that sucks what you just described because it's true people are going to be people are going to be scared if people try to rush concerts back too quick because at that show at my shows i'm fortunate that everyone feels close because the shit i talk about is vulnerable as hell the shit i talk about is like secrets it's my diary it's you know and when people sing that and or when people send me messages and and family and friends send me messages saying that they were later saying that they that they have secrets or they have demons that they carry like that and we're all in a room together and we're all reliving those memories we're all reliving those emotions it feels like such an intimate environment it feels like the person next to me is carrying the same pain that I carried it feels like the person in the back of the room who's screaming at the top of their lungs is feeling just what I'm feeling so there's this intimacy and I feel like if fear gets introduced to intimacy, the intimacy is going to be like yeah. impossible. It's like, I just got something traumatic when I'd gone to the concert and like to hear you talk about it, like so openly for me, I was like, yeah, like this is kind of like groundbreaking for me, like game changing. Like that's when I was like starting into your music. But yeah, for me, it was like good to see vulnerability. Cause like, I think concerts nowadays are like big form and like arenas, you kind of lose that vulnerability intimacy type things, like small venues. But like with COVID, it's kind of just like, is that ever going to return, you know? Who knows? I hope so. I hope in time. What a shame, eh? Imagine, like, our kids or our grandkids might never know what a concert's like. Like, what a real concert's like. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. Because I feel like it's not going to be, like, one day everyone's like, okay, no more masks. Like, it's going to be a very gradual yeah. overtime thing. And that's if that's if political leaders and community leaders stop being idiots, you know? That's if people start making proper decisions for the greater good of, of the population. And the population follows through for the population. Yeah. I feel like this one thing that, one good thing that the pandemic has brought us is to basically expose how many problems we have in a society, you know, like policy problems, just so many problems that like we never, or at least I never saw as like important. But when a traumatic event happens like this, you know, small business are, are open us uh, closing but big companies are still you know standing like fine and that's just how i felt about this pandemic just exposed so many problems yeah i agree it forced the world to stop it forced people who never dealt with racism in their life to have it right in front of their face where it's undeniable where people can't say oh north america is not racist anymore or where people can't say oh statistically this makes sense so you're just crying wolf or you know there's there's i agree with you fully the world stopped, the world paused, and everyone had their phone in their hand. A lot of people had no distractions. A lot of people just had themselves to sit with in the room, themselves and whatever reality is being presented. So I think that, that you're definitely right. One of the benefits was actually people being able to tune in empathetically to other people's problems that have been prevalent for 50, 60, 70 plus years, but actually feel like it's their own weight because they have nowhere else to look. Like it was huge because like I'm from Florida and like I've always realized everyone hates Florida. And I don't really understand why yep. until I came to New York. It's just like stupidity everywhere. It's I don't know how it's like I know you lived in Florida for a while. So I know you 
know what it's like there, but like seeing it from like a New York perspective, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm sure this happened to you too, especially if you went to New York. There's a lot of people that were never really vocal on policies and politics up until the last four years. Yeah. Being friends that I've worked with, that I was bartending till five in the morning with hustling, that I was talking about Latin pride, brown skin pride, that I was like in it with vehemently be supporting someone that embodies the exact like opposite of that was a shocking experience just to look at someone that you thought you knew and then be like how can you align with how can you i don't i don't even I, there's no words i just you don't even know how to articulate it yeah i, I don't know if I, I don't know if you went through that but i went through that because especially a lot in florida because there's a there's a split there's like a divide in florida because like i'm from northern florida i don't know if you lived in north or south i lived in south i lived by like fort lauderdale yeah because it like flipped because usually the north is like honky tonk like they're they're very vocal <laughs> about their hatred of people it's so, like when florida like north florida turned blue i was like oh like did something happen and then south turned to red and i was like yeah something is going up here i don't know what it is but yeah i was really shocked with some some people it was crazy i have it, yeah me too i was definitely shocked with a lot of people <laughs> it's just wild it's just crazy did you stay in la during the pandemic no i stayed in toronto when march hit or, or when it hit in march i was on tour with billy and we were like two three shows in and and everything shut down and they canceled everything and the borders were about to close. So they told us, oh, if you're Canadian, you got to get over the border right now or you might get stuck here. Like nobody knew how intense or how bad it was going to get. So we were all kind of scared. And we made our way over the border and I stayed in Canada up until last month. So from March till the beginning of November, from March till the beginning of November, I was in Toronto. And then I went to LA. I just went to LA for the first time this year and a few weeks ago and I stayed for maybe 10 days just to work and I went to Miami too for an award show that was like in a bubble so we were all we like it was a COVID test like every two days to get a weekly test for at yeah. Hope for school we have to do like the spit tests once a week but also you were just talking about like Toronto so you were talking about like your Latin pride and like my father he's like from Bolivia so like I have like the same Latin pride and um I was wondering how it was like growing up in Toronto and like having both your parents like Colombian and like what it was like and if you experienced like any racism or like how it was nothing's perfect it could have been worse but I'm fortunate and I realized how fortunate I was when I started living in the states because I noticed the distinct difference in what the idea of like patriotism or, or what the idea of behind being patriotic but still being connected to your root is in the states versus canada is quite different i feel like in canada you're more encouraged to wave your parents flag along with the canadian flag whereas if you drive if you drive at least in florida if you drive around florida you'll see a lot of just american flags outside of houses and on windows and stuff you know but if you drive around toronto and you're looking up at buildings, there's like a random Jamaican flag hanging and then a random Colombian flag and then a random Ecuadorian flag. It's just random, but it's cool. That being said, it depends where you go because the first area I lived, it was beautiful because I went into school not speaking a lick of English. Like my, my, my family would only speak Spanish at home. So when I went into school, I didn't know a thing. And it was cool because the area I was in just had a bunch of African kids, a bunch of Indian kids, a bunch of kids from everywhere whose parents were in the same situation that my parents were in. So those kids didn't speak any English either. And the teacher was chill. Like, I just remember it being, it being normal that I couldn't speak English. It being normal that I had an accent, which was so dope. And then my parents, in an effort to 
get us to a better area, move to a wider area. And that's the first time that I experienced racism, like the difference, people making fun of how I was speaking when, when I didn't even know I was speaking differently. I didn't even know I had an accent until it started being compared. But the cup half full there is that that's the first time after being bullied, I feel like it made my skin thicker. But also it's the first time that I acknowledged my difference and then started learning what Latino culture was, what Colombian history is, what, what the differences between me and, and the average Canadian are and valuing those differences, finding my identity within those differences and finding even more of an intimate relationship with my parents because of those, because of those connections and because of that history. But I always need to, I feel like I need to say that because I feel like people talk about Toronto I, I'm definitely guilty of this. I said that it's like this beautiful melting pot and it's sick because you can feel like you're in 10 different countries if you walk down a block downtown. But in saying that, I definitely don't want to like gaslight or I don't want to almost take the responsibility away from the fact that there's many statistics that still don't make sense. There's still large communities that are underrepresented when it comes to leaders that are in positions like there's racism is still there it just looks different it sounds different um hearing you talk about you know moving to a majority white neighborhood very relatable because me and my brother we immigrated with our parents obviously um to the to america when i was like 13 and he was like first grade um, so I felt so bad for him because at that young age, he wouldn't understand why people don't like him. But like me as a middle schooler, I feel like, okay, I get it, you know? Um, but I also did experience like finding like the difficulties about finding my own identity. Like I went through like quote unquote whitewash phase and then I had to reconnect with my Asian culture, Asian heritage and not be, you know, ashamed of it whatever I was wondering how you know did you have a similar experience and how that translated into music yeah I feel like everybody I feel like everybody does like even even the kids that are born in the country where their parents ancestors are from have that sort of almost curve of finding who they are and their identity and I feel like that's normal but I feel like when it comes to kids that are kids of immigrants it's an added layer of skin that we have because when you're in the house, it feels like you're in a different country. And when you walk out of the house, you just walked into unknown land where you have to morph. You have to morph to understand social cues. You have to change the language. You have to change how you move, everything, because the culture is just different. I feel like it made me more malleable. It made my skin thicker. And it's something I have appreciated now. Kind of what you said when you were like, you feel bad because your little brother didn't know. But what's nice is that hopefully now that your brother's older, he can acknowledge how much of a blessing that is, how much of a blessing it is to have that extra root to have. It's weird to say, but how much of a blessing it is to have that added adversity because it makes you stronger as an individual to know that you could literally be like, my bullies are fucking stupid. My skin is a blessing. My bullies are fucking stupid. My mom cooks wicked empanadas. I totally feel that. My mom makes the best pastelios I've literally ever had in my life. My, you know, like to understand that your differences are, are your gifts. 
your differences are your blessings. Absolutely. Jesse, I really need to know about your latest album. It really gets me. It kills me. It's amazing. And I feel like especially since it was released in a pandemic, everyone's clung on to it so hard and like really taken it to heart because we all need it. We need you now. And uh, to that tune, what song do you think is the most underrated, but like your favorite on the album? I think that the one that's the most underrated, but also my favorite, but also my least favorite because it's the one that still makes I feel like if I performed it because I haven't even gotten the chance to perform it yet I'd probably still cry like for a long time apple juice from being human in public was that song where I couldn't I had to I had to I had to fight against tears to be able to sing that shit live and I feel like same side is that same side is still very like the cut is still open in that song I love the feelings (laughs) okay quick questions I have to ask or people will actually kill me coffin Eminem what was it like collaborating so you have like good guy nice guy also so like what's that relationship like because it's rare to like have that kind of connection with especially Eminem he's sick I know especially Eminem eh? that's what a lot of people say because I, he's, it's not like he works with everybody it's not like he like man the fact that he had two features with me on his album was crazy that was a blessing in itself the first time I ever linked up I think that there's only I, I've been I've been let me preface this at the risk of sounding pompous let me preface this by saying I've only I only think I've ever freaked out twice. And I've been really fortunate to work with to work with legends. Like legends I never thought I'd work with. People who I whose musical skills I admire, people whose life accomplishments I revere. Great, great, great people. But I've only freaked out twice. One was Beyonce and one was Eminem. I like I I I don't I don't remember this, but my managers were there and they were like, when you hugged him you did this fucking like 10 year old exhale. Like I was like, oh, like, it just popped out. Cause like, and it just came out. Anyway, I was super nervous. And then we went into the session and I was, I remember going into the session and being apprehensive, not, I was scared because sometimes I'm lucky and sometimes I don't have to write shit down and it'll just, it's just a stream and it's, and it just comes quick. It's, it's a blessing and, and it's, there's an abundance of words and abundance of melodies and it's just like, boom. And then sometimes it's a page and it scratches and edits and it's a mountain and it's work and I got to squeeze like the sponge to get drips out. So I remember praying being like, oh Lord, I hope, I hope, I hope the faucet is thick. I, ho- I hope the stream is thick today. I hope the faucet is dripping. And he played a beat and I was like, all right, cool. And then I started and it started coming out and I was just... In the moment, not so much, but after I was like, we well, thank God, it just came out, it came out quick, came out easy. Because I was nervous to perform in front of him because I admire his talent so like, Yeah. I can't even, like, physically imagine. Because, like, did you go in thinking you're do, like, one song together and end up having, like, all three? Or was it kind of like a, you work together, you're like, let's it do this again? It was supposed to be one song. And then we just clicked, man. And I played him some shit and he played me some shit. And then Coffin was after the fact. Coffin wasn't made till, like, till months after was made and then we thought of him and then I sent it over and then he sent it back and the rest is history. I love that. You have to tell the Beyonce story because I know everyone's gonna want to hear that because yeah we gotta hear she's the queen of oh my god I was at a festival in Philly uh we went backstage because I had performed already and we walk up and when I was when I first started uh going for meetings in LA and stuff we sat down with a lot of different labels right because we were in a fortunate position where we were turning people down it was funny because one of the, there was, a, there was multiple labels at the table and then when we had made a decision to go with one, 
I was like, I'm going to call everybody and let them down because I feel like it's the righteous thing to do. Instead of just sending a text being like, no thanks, these people whined and dined me. So I thought the least I could do was just be straight up. And so many people switched up. Even if it was subtle, you could perceive energy when you're sensitive. And I fucking, people just switched up. But there was one label that was just so vehemently consistent, and that was Rock Nation. And it was like Jay-Z and Ty Ty and Kenny and all those guys have just always shown me love consistently and said, even if we didn't partner on this, you know we're going to work together in the future. It's mad love. So we are backstage with them because those are the homies. They show, they show mad love. Say what up to Jay-Z. Say what up to Ty Ty Wild Chillin'. And then I noticed that B's next to Jay-Z, and I'm like, oh, and he's like, oh, come, let me introduce you. And I was like, oh. oh. And then he's like, hey, and I was like, hi. And I, and, and said hello. And then um, this is the fucking, the day before I had done, I had done the MTV Awards. Like, uh, I had done a performance there, and I had sung Apple Juice. I practiced a million times. And at the performance, I missed one note. At the end of the one note, my voice croaked. I, I'm sure you noticed. Oh you have no, but I, but I was like, I was livid. I, I remember, I remember being on the brink of tears because I was just so meticulous about it being perfect, so, so on my pitch, so on that. So when there's one mistake and it's so drastic and it's at the end of the fucking song in the last ten seconds, I was bent. I was cheesed for hours. Had to pack my bags, get to the other festival, whatever. That happened the day before. So I perform at the festival early on, and then we're backstage, and I meet Beyonce, and Beyonce goes, oh, my God, I loved your performance. And I was like, oh, you were here earlier? Like, you saw me on the stage here? And she goes, no, I saw you yesterday at the awards. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you. I'm like, I fucked up a note. Like, I hate that that's I, – I, in my head, I'm thinking, I fucking hate that that's the performance that you saw because it's the one where I fuck up this last note, and I never do that in that song. And she, and anyways, I was like, oh my God, I, I messed up in that one. I missed a note and I was beating myself up. She's like, no, no, no. She's like, oh my God, don't. It sounded, it sounded great. Like you did great. Loved it. And I was like melting inside, trying to keep myself together, trying to not like spontaneously combust in front of this legend that I've loved. And I'm not just a Beyonce fan. I'm like a Destiny's Child fan. I go back. I love That's that so funny. And then we're just hanging. And Jay-Z goes, so like, how are you feeling? Like, what's up? How you feeling? And I was like, I'm hungry. And I started <laughs> laughing. And then Jay's like, they start giggling. And Jay's like, yeah, we got some pizza. We got some shrimp. Like, help yourself. And then asked me why. I said, no, I'm hungry for life. I'm hungry for work, for music, for like, I'm for life. And then we started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, because I was hungry for life. Like, I'm hungry for life. I'm hungry for life. Um, speaking of hungry for life, I know that you have a million people on your list, you know, who you want to collab with. Who's the, you know, the next step? I just, like a sneak peek. The next step, I've always said, like, I love Frank Ocean. I think he's amazing. I love Kid Cudi. I think he's a goat. I love, I love Princess Nokia. I think she's sick. Love Kali Uchis. I think she's sick. That's, 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 that's God willing in the future. I'm looking forward to that so much. Oh my God, I can't wait. No, I've been waiting for something from him for I don't know how long. I think listening to other people's music, are you like, does it make you more critical or more like appreciative of how other artists like go through the same process as you? I think it makes me more appreciative, especially because I see, I get it. Well, not everybody knows. So you couldn't blame someone for their ignorance, for someone to tweet. Like if an album drops and you tell all oh, like the album sucked. Like, don't even listen to that. Something like that. In the past, 
I would have just like, excuse me, it would have just been like whatever. But now, if I see someone say that about an artist, I can't help but feel empathetic because I'm like, fuck, that artist probably like cried over that album, probably stayed up at night thinking about the track list. It's probably like their soul is in that piece of work and someone just diminished it. Someone just, just brushed it off like it was nothing, like it was something that could be critiqued within, within the span of five words to just diminish a piece of someone's soul. It's crazy. And especially when it's an artist that you love. Like I've seen people talk shit about artists that I'm like, You're, these people are genius. This is a genius. And people have the audacity to criticize art with such like with no regard, it's wild. So it makes me more empathetic to know that there's artists that like put their lives into it. And, and the way that I kind of find peace in that is just understanding that not everything's for everybody. You know, if everything, everybody, the world would be too boring. So there's going to be people that hate something, even if you love it. And it's just what it is, but it definitely makes me more empathetic for when artists are putting shit out now. I, I, being an artist, knowing what goes into it. Yeah. What artists do you look up to like in that way? Uh, in ways of being like fearlessly putting shit out. Yeah. They're like confident about their work or like are vulnerable in their work that you like aspire to be like, not aspire to be like, but like you look up to in that kind of way. Kendrick. I look up to Kendrick Lamar so much in terms of catalog, man. In terms of catalog, I think it's just what he's been able to accomplish still be cohesive but still show evolution and still show growth as a musician as a man it's just really really beautiful to see and i've been a fan like i remember seeing him in florida damn near eight years ago at the fillmore when he was just getting started i remember bringing my mixtapes to the show i remember just like it's just i've been a fan of him so to see that evolution to like be able to have a conversation with him to get a compliment from him and like it's just it's all really meant a lot and it's really cool when you get to meet someone that you consider a legend and then be just as cool in person as you would hope. It's really dope. Yeah. So during your free time, right? Do you listen to your own genres, music like R&B, or do you venture out? And like, what's your favorite genre of music besides? I venture out. I love you venture it. out. Wow. Yeah, I venture out. But funny enough, I venture out, but I venture out backwards. Like I love going into random old shit. I love going into random like random obscure queen songs that I've never heard of in my life that I thought I had I, I thought I would have known by now or random obscure like uh Sia songs before see almost Sia before she was Sia she had this one project I can't remember what it's called but it's this album that's got like a blue cover and there's some gems there's some gems on that project I love going backwards just discovering new songs that have existed for years before I was even born but to know that they're just little diamonds hiding in the algorithm Cool. When you like first started getting big and like you heard yourself on the radio, did it all seem like super surreal to you? And like did it kind of seem like a dream coming true or like could you not believe it? I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. Which is jokes because I have been doing like I, I've been doing talent shows since I was a kid. I've been doing audition after failed audition after failed audition since I was a kid. So even though it was something that I was working for and something that in that that I had just that I had been working for for a long time, it still felt while I was in the moment that I couldn't really believe that like my song was on the radio or I couldn't really believe a lot. Also, I was really depressed when Kiddo came out. So it was hard to be as appreciative as almost or as present as I wish I could have because I feel like I was very much overwhelmed by my demons and my own, my own shit. I don't regret it because I feel like I'm better for it now, but I didn't really get to be as present as my happiest self would have liked to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. 
I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now wherever you're listening. As uh, we all know here on Crying in Public, we talk about dating, sex, boys, all of the whole shebang. Jesse, how has fame in particular impacted your dating life? Is it hard to find genuine connections to trust people? If you don't want to talk about dating, you could talk about friends, but I got to know because dating's tough right now with quarantine for sure. Yeah, what? I'm, yeah, I don't even think I'm... There's a long way for me to go before I get to the point where I feel like I'm close to my end goal, you know? When you said there's a long wait, I thought you were going to say there was a long waiting list of people waiting to date you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was like, yes, queen. That's better. Um, th- what the fuck was I saying? You have a oh, long way to go to your end goal. Yeah, I have a long way to go. But that being said, I'm getting my first like taste of what fame is like, like. And it's not it's difficult for me because it definitely affects how people treat you. Like there's people that wouldn't pick up the phone. There's people that would just treat me differently and now are sucking my dick. So it's difficult to be, it's just, it's difficult to, to not even distinguish between what's sincere and what's not, because it gets easier the more you do it. I feel, however, it's difficult to not get jaded by that, by the fact that you can see it's just, there's, there's no transparency. You could you could just feel it, and it sucks to to feel that so often. And it's a small price to pay for dreams to come true. For you to have to like, oh, this person's too nice to me. Like it seems like such a bitchy thing to complain about. 
but it's scary because you don't you don't really know and sometimes you do who's being genuine and who's being authentic and who just wants to come up or who wants to climb a social ladder or who wants to say yo i bag jesse reyes like you just never know do you think that goes to true with with friendship as well yeah totally with friendships girlfriends boyfriends like whatever it is it's just difficult because there's an added motivation and you don't you can't see people's motives you don't know you you just can't you you make an educated guess but at the end of the day you're betting it's still a casino and you just don't know if you're gonna win or you're gonna lose you don't know what it's gonna be but i've kept people at our arms like for a minute do you think you've stayed like good friends with people you were like friends with prior to becoming famous like you've kept those connections i've kept some of them it's difficult to keep all of them because then people start changing and they don't even notice sometimes people don't notice that they're switching up on you it's a weird thing to talk about because i also realize that it's a if i would have heard somebody talk about this 10 years ago it would be such a foreign concept to me that i would stand back and i would be like appalled that someone is complaining about their success you know i if and, and i'm being honest with you like if 10 years ago i heard someone saying what i'm saying right now i would be appalled that someone was complaining that too many people are calling their phone and they don't know who's being genuine or not but it's just what it is. So it's it's a learning curve for me. It's definitely a learning curve, but I've been able to stay close to the ones that have been real to me from the beginning. You know, the ones that have, that have been genuine, the ones that know my family, the ones that are my family. And I've always made family a big priority in my life. So it's almost easier to kind of, to know where my time is going to go. Because I don't even have that much time for my fucking self. So I'm definitely not going to make time for someone that's, that doesn't have a solid permanent place in my heart. So I keep my circle raised. Queen, <laughs> that's so true. One thing I've always wondered is how people, like once they start to like gain notability or fame, like how they stay grounded. Cause I know for us, our first week here, <laughs> someone noticed, in the, noticed us in the park and we were like, oh shit, like we're famous. <laughs> I was like, we made it. It's like some little girl in the park. Oh, we, we don't know how to stay grounded <laughs> now. So I can imagine like, how do you like keep your head on the ground because I don't know how we do that's so fucking funny um I keep my family close and my family never switches up especially my nieces like they're quick to bring me back to the back back to earth you know it's I'm just Tia Jesse I'm just I'm just my mother's daughter I'm just I'm just a girl from Toronto who got lucky I don't feel like that's ever been super difficult for me just because I keep I try to remind myself of that every day I try to remind myself of my struggles every day. Yeah. That being said, I started to deal with fucking stalkers and that's making me a lot less social, a lot less warm because I never know if, if the person I'm going to be dealing with is like cool or if they're a fucking creep. Like you just never know. Yeah. So it's nice to have family close that can humble you real quick if ever you're feeling too big, if ever you're feeling too big above it. But it's also scary because then you just don't really want to get you don't really want to make your circle bigger and you're scared to make your circle bigger because you don't really know who's who and who's there for what. Yeah. Kids are ruthless. They're always bringing you right back down. But they don't skip a beat. They just go Kids right where it hurts. I was once at my brother's crib. This story will never get old for me. I was once at my brother's crib and my oldest nephew was drawing, but he's in school for fine. He's in school for something else. And I was like, Papi, why don't you go to school for this? Or why don't you change the program? And he was like, no, because... I'm not good at it. And I was like, what the hell? I'm like, you can't just start good at shit. Like nobody's, nobody's, there's a few, few and far in between the people that are just born good at something. Most people have to work to develop their skill. Do you think I just, do you think I was just born good at singing? No, I sucked and I had to get better. Like, but I, but I wasn't good at singing when I started. And my little nephew from across the room, watching TV, has his ear perked up, looks over the sofa and he's like, so Tia, are you saying that you think you sing good now? I was like, <laughs> 
<laughs> Kids and parents Ridiculous. always keep you grounded. They do, but I love it because I'd rather, I'd rather, in Spanish, it's almost, there's a saying like, say, mejor, mejor ser honesto que morongo, which is like, better you be honest than a fake fuck, you know? That's why I love because there's no filter. You just get what it is. That's my dad. My dad is the one with those comments. I can't do it. I'll never forget. It was actually in LA. I forgot what concert it was. I was like, I'm feeling confident for the first time. I had like my leather jeans on. I was ready to go. Yeah. And my dad walks out and he was like, you don't know how to dress. And from that day on, I was just like, wow, like this man really came for my life with that. It hurts. It hurts, but it's good for you. It just keeps you. And like, you know, my dad dresses like, I don't know what, but yeah, it keeps you grounded. It hurts. Exactly. I don't have any siblings. So I count on, cause these are all, we all live together basically. So I count on the people who are closest to me, who I can like pee in the bathroom with the door open. I count on these people to like really bring me back to it sometimes. That's sick. You do it, yo, you're, you're fortunate enough to have people around you that can do it. And if you can't do it, you're just going to have like little, little reminders. Like I keep my, I keep my, um, my name tag from one of my first jobs when I was 18, like it was reception. I keep the little name tag on my on my on my shelf, just as a reminder, you know, what it was when I started. This is our little reminder right here on our fridge, our first little logo. <laughs> just out of high school, we're talking about going to college. So, how did you make that decision for you? It's no like societal pressure is always like you have to go to college, and like nowadays, just with like the pandemic and like how expensive it is, so many kids are like, I don't know if I want to go to college or not. It's, is it worth it? So, like, how did you make that decision for yourself? No, I was I was definitely scared and it definitely wasn't really anticipated for me to make this decision in my house because my brother's a genius like he's like Dr. Reyes he has his doctor he works at a university in Toronto he teaches he's a scientist like no one expected me not to go to school and and kind of follow a similar path but honestly I, I before I graduated high school I think I had been fired from three jobs at that point and I was I was going through a depression and what felt like home and what felt like a floaty in the middle of the ocean was always music. And I fucking, I just, I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I don't think school's for everybody. I think it's for some people. I think it benefits you if you have the, like, if, if, if you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to be something that requires a diploma and you can actually guarantee that your diploma is going to be worth something after school, I think it's lit. But I also sat down and thought about it logically. And I was like, well, I wanted to go on for English. My mom knew I loved music and she was like, why don't you go on for music? And I was like, to me, to debt, shoot something in the, like, I don't want to go into debt for something that's not solid. So I'm going to go in for English because I thought English was solid. So I was going to go in for journalism. And then I started looking online and talking to different people and people being like, don't fucking do that because, because you end up in the dark again. If you don't have a set plan for what to do with that English degree or what to do with that journalism degree, you, you, you might end up fucked. So I was, I decided when I graduated, I was like, I'm going to work for a year. I'm going to make money so that that way I'm not borrowing any money from my parents. And that way I'm not going into debt, taking money from shipping the government because I, my, my dad's always been like anti credit card anti. He's always, he, my dad's worked his fucking ass off his whole life, but he's always been very much, you need to work hard and don't get into fucking debt because debt kills a lot of people or debt kills a lot of people's dreams. So the year went by. And I started doing more open mics and I started just like looking out for people on the internet that I could collaborate with. And I just, I don't know, man, I don't, it feels like I'm looking for a sentence to kind of describe that I just, I just felt like the institution path wasn't really for me. It just, what it just never fit. I just always had an issue with school. I always had an issue with some fucking teacher. I always had an issue with like kind of following rules. I always had an issue with that. 
apart from like two teachers in the span of 12 years that I was in the system, two teachers, I feel like benefited my life. Two teachers that were patient, two teachers that understood that like not every kid is meant for that sort of environment. Not every kid is going to thrive. Not every kid has, has basic learning capabilities. Some kids are just different. And I, I just felt like it never fit. So it just made sense that when I had the option not to do it anymore, I was like finding ways, finding options to do what I really wanted to do, which was music. You mentioned talent shows. When was that? Like, when were you going to talent shows? Like, as a kid, did your parents, like, just sign you up and you had to go? Like, uh, No, I like talent shows at school, talent shows in high school, like random Toronto dance shows, like called Step. It was just and anywhere and anything that I could get in. I went for auditions for girl groups that were getting together in Toronto. I There was just a lot. To go back, back to what I said, because I feel like I don't ever want to, like, I know school is a good thing for some people, but for me it wasn't. And the older I got, one of the things I just want to make sure I say so I'm covering, like, the spectrum of how I feel in terms of school, I feel like the most beneficial thing that I've deduced from other people's experiences that they come away from school with is the people they've met and the connections they've been able to make and the relationships they've been able to nurture because a lot of, it's just what it is, a lot of success, a lot of success stories are sprinkled with, oh, and then this person was able to help me out or this person was able to hook me up with this opportunity or this person was able to introduce me to that person which changed my life. A lot of it is relationships. So I feel like if you're not going to take the school route and you decide that you want to like leave high school and just work and figure out a different way, you need to make sure that you have the discipline to be able to provide for yourself opportunities where you're socializing and where your relationship, like where, where, where seeding relationships is still something that you're making, still something that you're making a priority, even if you're not in school. Because despite me not being at school, that's something that I did. I was at open mics, like in Kensington Market, every weekend. I was busking. I was fucking busting my ass to connect with anybody and everybody that I could that was making music that was on a similar level to me. So they'd be willing to collaborate and getting better as a musician and all those things. So I feel like if you don't have that, then you fucking need school. But if you have that, then maybe you don't. Is there like a moment or a time, something like that, that you can credit with starting or like kickstarting your career? Like was there like... One thing you can define is like this is the moment where I knew I was gonna make it type thing. I remember the one moment where I knew that I was gonna go balls to the wall, and it was um, in Toronto, and I had just finished the remix project, which is like the youth program in Toronto that I owe a lot to that changed my life. It was a random session because King Louis, super dope Chicago rapper, had come and he was speaking as a mentor. Heard my song, said he wanted to work. That's awesome. He told other people he wanted to work too, though. So we ended up at a random condo in Toronto with 10 different people in the room. Doc McKinney, Spooky Black, Wonder Girl, Redway, Sean Leon, me. Like, a lot of people were in there and Doc. And it was a lot of producers playing beats. And I just had my one guitar. And I was like, fuck, nervous as hell. Didn't know how to approach it because everyone's playing beats for this rapper. And all I have is my guitar. And then finally, I, like, summed up the courage to be like, hey, can I play something? And maybe we can jam. And he was like, okay. And we started jamming, made a song. Me and my manager were there. And then after we left that session, we went to go get some chicken wings. And I just remember sitting across from him and us looking at each other. And for five seconds, we could hear each other's thoughts. And he goes, so we're doing this? And I was like, yeah, dog, we're doing this. We're doing this. And then from that day forward, we never looked back. It was weird. It was so weird, but it was really cool. And I could, I, 
I just, I, I can relive the moment for you. I can tell you exactly what I was wearing. I can tell you exactly where we were sitting because it was just one of those moments, one of those little like intersections in your life where the memory is so vivid because it was such a fucking potent, potent, potent moment of synchronicity where it was, this is the commencement of like the rest of your life. Like we're doing this. It was so cool. So throughout pursuing your music career, and I guess uh, you can speak on either before or after that, like commencement, what motivation kind of kept you pushing through even when you felt like giving up? Because I know that's so prevalent. Like sometimes we all want to just be like, this isn't for me. I would just rather sit here in my bed alone without like any backlash, any criticism, nothing like that. So what, what would you attribute to like what got you here personally, motivation wise? I was shit in most of my subjects in school. It always felt like emotion got the best of me. I got fired from everything else. My parents had hustled so hard for me to be able to even like thrive in this country that they didn't even speak the language properly. They were working they were working nights, they were working doubles. My aunt had to come babysit. My aunt had a hand in raising me. My brother being able to excel with his own adversity because my brother had his first kid when he was 16 and still managed to keep his scholarship like there was just so many things that made it impossible for me to even consider failure. Like I just needed to do it. Failure wasn't an option. I just needed to do it. All my friends were, in, I was the only friend out of my friend group that, that decided not to go to school. Everybody else was in college. Everybody else was sticking to the plan. So I was fucking scared. And I remember sitting down with one of my homegirls and her being like, I don't know how the hell you're doing it. Like, I don't know how, how are you not in school? Aren't you, don't you see everybody else? And she, we were having an honest conversation. And I was just like, I know, but I have a plan. Like, this is just what's happening. It's just a matter of fact. It's just what's happening. Yeah, I, I don't know how, because like, I think especially in the music industry, because it's such like a convoluted type place, it's hard to feel like I'm making a difference in this thing, like putting myself forward to like be unique, things like that. So I think like being a woman in the industry right now, how are you like finding your place in it? Because I know like in Me Too times and things like that, when like, it's kind of a spotlight on how women are being treated right now in the industry. So like, how are you finding your footing with like the dynamics of what's happening? I think I'm, I'm not so much trying to find my footing as, as, as much as I'm just trying to make sure I'm finding myself, you know, cause I feel like what's for you will never miss you. And I also don't ever want to paint myself to be something I'm not. Life is hard enough with the voice in your head. Life is hard enough with the voice in your head. So when you have to almost put yourself into the context of other people's expectations and how to fit into their in, in into other people's idea of where you're supposed to be, I feel like it just fucking adds another layer. Like, fuck, man, I have enough demons. I'm just trying to make sure I'm good. And then if I'm good and I'm being honest and I'm being truthful and I'm grounded and I'm, and I'm just myself, I have faith that I'm going to end up where I need to end up. In that conversation, in... And how women are being viewed in the industry, like the fact that I'm I'm being honored with that a uh, Billboard uh, like Impact Award is crazy. It's just funny. It's it's funny because when I think about when when Gatekeeper happened to me, and when I think about when I made the song, and when I think about when Kato came out, and when I think about all those things, and I see it on the timeline from the span of when it happened till now, is over six seven years, over eight years. And I feel like if I would have been trying to make a project then and think about, oh, well, where am I going to be in terms of the industry? And where am I going to be in terms of the way people perceive me while I was trying to make music for myself would have diluted my potency as an artist. So I try not to think about other people when it comes to finding my way. I'm just trying to find 
I'm just trying to find my way. Like I know, especially in R and B, I think music in general, when it comes to women, like there's such a pressure to be like sexualized. Yeah. Not even a, it's like if you want to do it, like go ahead, girl, like wear your cute little bra, like whatever. But there was ever a pressure for you to like try and fit that mold of like being like the sexy, like you know, yeah, woman of color, kind of like pressure. Definitely, definitely, I've definitely been in sessions or not or meetings or just heard feedback sometimes of people that are like, oh, she needs to elevate her. She needs to be wearing a dress or can we get her makeup or can we get her a hairstylist or like some shit where I've had to vehemently be like, no, but I've, I've been really lucky to have a mom and dad that were very liberal with me when I was growing up. So liberal in some aspects. So for example, I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend when all the other girls had boyfriends. I wasn't ever allowed to go to sleepover until I was halfway through high school. I wasn't, there was a lot of things that were forbidden, but one of the things where I had just freedom was in terms of self-expression. So if I wanted to bleach my hair and paint it pink, I was allowed. If I wanted to cut the curtains and make an outfit and wear it to school, I was allowed. If I wanted, like, if I wanted to, I remember once, I don't know why the hell I did this, but I took all the, there was like gold encrusted things around the light switches that my parents were getting rid of. And I, and I, they were busy, so I took them all and I just hammered them around my room because I wanted to make expressionalist like art, like just an art installation in my room randomly. And I was allowed. And I think that those things definitely echoed out. And I'm reaping the benefits of it now because I feel stronger and I feel capable of telling people no when they feel like they want to change me. Like, I'll wear a dress when I want to wear a dress. I'll be sexy when I want to be sexy. But if you think that I need to wear it because it's appropriate for this event, chances are I'm going to say no for the sake of being petty because I don't want you to think that you have any sort of control over how I'm going to express myself. You know what I mean? So I've definitely felt it, but I think I've just, I've been fortunate with the history that I've had to be able to just say no confidently because I said no when I was 13 in class and the teacher tried to tell me what the fuck was I wearing and I was like, Mind your business. I uniform, so I can't relate, but I wish I could have had that kind of uniform. Oh man, I had a uniform in high school too, but that was the same thing. I remember I I edited like so much of it. My teachers hated me. I would I would cut the kill, I'd add like extra fringes. I used to cut the collar, so I just had to tuck in a collar instead of wearing a white shirt. Like school uniforms. We had that role where you had to like get on your knees in the cafeteria and get them measured with index cards. But see, I was double jointed in my arms. They were really, really short. So I was in my little like six inch skirts, but I loved it. Oh, good for you. Found a, found a, found a hack in the city, did. Well, look, speaking of being a, a woman in the industry, um, I want to talk about Gatekeeper because that song is just absolutely like, and I, I'm so sure you're so tired of getting asked about this song, but I want to know what's the biggest challenge you think for a woman, as a woman, and especially a woman of color in the industry today? I think that biggest challenge for me it's not so much a challenge it is a challenge because it's a pill to swallow to have to always be conscious of how uh, in meetings not so much in art or when I'm or when I'm if I want to express myself in terms of what I'm wearing in terms of like what I'm creating not 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 so much that but in meetings having to be sensitive to the egos particularly the male egos in the room it's such a fucking headache. Like, it's such a chore. It's such a chore. But it's the path of least resistance. And if I, again, if I was, if I wanted to lie and paint some fucking Disney picture for people, I'd be like, yeah, it's great. Equality. There's no sexism. It's wonderful. You just speak your mind and you just stay strong. But you, you do, but you have to be conscious of that. 
because then God forbid you're too strong or you're too bold or you didn't say please or you didn't do something, then you're giving the men who have these sensitive, weak egos in the room a reason. And we, as women, already are fighting an uphill battle in terms of success, in terms of how we're viewed, in terms of fighting these sexual expectations, in terms of being hypersexualized, or in terms of being just, it, there's just so many extra burdens that we carry that men know nothing about. And it's just so whack to have an added one beat to have to filter out how strong I may be when I speak for the sake of not wanting to offend people in the room because it's coming out of a woman's body as opposed to a man. That is the fucking worst. And it sucks, but it's true because I've done it. Like I've, I've done it. I've been in situations where I was freely uncensored myself and, and just spoke and was just fucking passionate and adamant and however it is that I wanted to be and had to deal with people being too sensitive about it. Whereas I know that if the roles were reversed and it was a guy talking about it, oh, he's passionate. Oh, what leadership. Oh, what dedication to his plan that he didn't take any criticism and decided to stick to his plan. He's not stubborn. He's not emotional. He's not, you know, and it, I'm like speaking to you guys and I'm sure you guys fucking, like we all know it. All, any, any woman that has had to fight for her claim to success, any woman that has had to fight to see a dream flourish into, real, into a reality knows what it is to have to be in a boardroom and have to be conscious of taking the path of least resistance is whack. I can't wait till we get to the day where equilibrium is set and that's not even a fucking point of conversation yet. It's not there yet. I can't wait. I can't wait till my great, 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 great granddaughters don't even have to fucking acknowledge that. It's going to be a long journey for sure. <laughs> Do you ever get tired? Like, because I know how much a song means to you when you write it. So obviously it's a cathartic experience of like talking about emotions and things like that. Is there a point where you get like, not tired of, but kind of like you don't want to sing the same song over and over again? Like, does it lose that like, power to you or like connection with you after like so many times performing it yo to be honest no i've never really felt that because usually i'm happier anytime that the song doesn't hit me as hard it's usually a sign of growth or a sign of healing i remember the first time that i didn't cry on apple juice and i remember the first time that i started looking at the song differently because the song was an ode to like a lost love but the more I worked on self-love, the more I worked on introspection, I remember being out once and then realizing that the song had turned into a love song to myself. If you read the lyrics for Apple Juice, it's so easily, if you just take a step to the right and look at it a little differently, it becomes an ode to like self-love and self-development and always being there for yourself no matter what. And learning to like wait for yourself on the other side of the tunnel because you know there's a way through. It just morphed. And I remember singing that song and being like, fuck, man, I feel warm. And it's the first time I ever felt warm singing that song. It's the first time I didn't want to break down into tears singing that song. And it was a sign of growth. And I loved that. As weird as that sounds, because you think that because the emotion isn't as potent, that maybe it would be a negative thing. But it's not. I kind of love when the songs become friends as opposed to little bottled up, fucked up moments in time. I remember like my mom and like, therapist and stuff being like write down your feelings and I was like no why would I ever write down my feelings and then it was like when I was going through a hard time like that's what got me through just like writing down my feelings because like you can't just like you there's you have to let it out somehow and for me it was just like writing it down and then like rereading it or like and then when I was done with it like rereading it and like it doesn't hurt you anymore it is it's sick it's such a cliche too I remember hearing that when I was in school being like what bullshit is this like you just always hear those cliches like chase your dreams yeah. never give up you only fail when you quit and it's fucked because the older you get the more you realize that those cliches were little nuggets of gold 
that were stuck around the classroom and you just never thought anything of it because they became cliches and the adults that have become jaded to those to those phrases the adults that are stuck in lives that they didn't anticipate for themselves don't really don't really um emphasize how important those phrases are how important self-love is how important like confidence is it's just wild it's wild because it was just such a full circle thing for me because i remember being in high school being like this shit sounds so whack what do you mean love myself what do you mean like i don't even understand what that means i didn't understand that meant in high school it's good for me to get like distance because i'm always like she was going through something but yeah i feel like writing is super cathartic but turning it into songs like so different because like it kind of stays with you so i feel how that yeah. could be like it's wild long. it's alchemy it's so it's so it's so strange to be able to put a name on something and then have it like lose its value it's like turning on the lights when you're scared of the monsters and realizing it's just like it was just your dirty laundry hamper and being like oh I just needed some clarity. It just needed some labeling. It needed to be categorized and now it ain't shit. I feel like it's such a good message to send, you know, um, your fans that I think yourself is the most important person in your life and you can only love yourself and then you can expect people to love you. I feel like that's just yeah, so wonderful. Yeah, it's fucked up because then it's, it's like you have a cut and for most people, the cut would heal if you would just leave it alone. But I remember on tour... When I was already going through it, already depressed, it felt like every night I was just opening this cut and like digging my finger into it. You know, who has to talk about their ex every day when they're trying to get over them? But I'm singing about him every day. It was it was really difficult when I first started. It was fucking hard. Do you think that even though like it was so difficult when you first started, like it made you stronger though because like you gotta overcome it by like facing it? Yeah, totally. Totally. It made me stronger. Time, realization, being able to, to understand that I needed to make myself a priority. And as bleak as it sounds, like when that little voice in your head and you is all you have, is all you really have. So if that person is treating you like shit, you're just living through hell. You already have outside people that don't know how to love, outside people that don't appreciate you, outside, and you don't even have your own back? How the hell do you expect to survive? It took me so long to, to learn that. It took me so long to understand that. And I still battle. Like, there's days where where I forget that I need maintenance. I need self-care maintenance. Otherwise, I just start to start to forget that it's important. Uh, this is so, so random. I need to know about the TikTok Ocean Spree skateboard guy. What is your friendship? Tell me everything. I think it's hilarious. So cool. That guy's the best. He's so chill. He's as chill as you did, like, hope for him to be. Um, it was a fun-ass day, man. It was I, the only thing that we were missing were like beers to just have made that day perfect. And the weather was lovely. It had been so long since I'd been skateboarding too. Like I used to skateboard, especially in Florida when I used to live out there. There was a point where I was living on the beach on Broward and I used to bartend like two blocks, three blocks away. And I was too broke to afford my own spot. So I was renting my homegirl's couch in her living room. And then when I had to go to work, I would just grab my longboard and then peace out, go down the block work my shift and then come back home it was a right on the beach so it was sick it was like worth just paying for the couch because then i would go to the beach and meditate and it was a gift how did you guys end up meeting like it was off of tiktok or yeah off of tiktok i just reached out and i was like you dope <laughs> and then the rest is history that's so, that's so cool all right so as we wrap this episode jesse thank you so much for coming on and talking to us please 
follow Jesse Reyes on Instagram and you can follow, you can find our album before Love Came to Kill Us out now on Apple Music and Spotify and anywhere you get your music. Uh, don't forget to follow Crying in Public at Crying in Public Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and you can find our episodes out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts as well. Bum, bum, bum. Thank you so <laughs> much. Y'all are dope. Thank you so much. You guys are so sick. Congratulations on the success you guys are seeing on Thank you so much. That means so no. much. Oh my god. I'm gonna cry. No, I just love your songs. Uh, oh, you. They're so relatable. Thank you. That's sick. I, I honestly like vicariously living through y'all and love seeing you guys flourish. Love seeing you guys taking shit by the horns. Especially because it's difficult if you're in school and you're dealing with a pandemic and you're doing assignments and you you can't really see friends and family as much and it's just hard and you guys are grabbing shit by the horns and just making it happen regardless. That's really cool. Good for you guys. And I love the title. Crying in public. Whoever thought of that title is fucking Oh, yeah. love, it. Now. love it, man. What did you say? You mentioned chicken wings earlier. Not only text yeah. yeah, like you yo, said chicken shit. wings. Like, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. If you guys have ever had honey hot and hot sauce and honey garlic with a little bit of parmesan is the fucking shit if you guys want to go exploring for actually. Yeah. But anyways, thank you guys Ooh. so much for having me. Congratulations on the show. More success. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm gonna binge listen to your song tonight. That's what I'm gonna do. Bye. Bye. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.